Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, fall, or I guess, sorry, for those that get offended by me saying it's fall, summer. The end of summer is when we start talking about our kickoffs for fall. I always feel like this is the beginning of the year for me, kind of like it is for the school year, because our ministry year ends with the school year. We have summer, and now we're starting up again. So a couple of things to keep in mind, and we'll keep you informed on that. One of the things that's coming up is the food and clothing drive. So I've already been going through my wardrobe and looking at what are the things that, you know, are extra that I no longer need. That's one category. Uh, But something we started last year, and I'm going to say it again this year, would you consider looking at the clothes you do love and picking out one piece of clothing or more uh, to give from your best? And I, I think there's something about when we give from our best that God loves and that he honors. Obviously, that's okay if you don't want to. Even if you give from your surplus, that's amazing too. Uh, This is always an opportunity for us to show the community in the region, not just the community, but the region. We get people from all over that come here and are coming into the church building. And I know sometimes, I even say it, right? It's just a building. If the building goes, the church remains because the church is people. That said, God resides here with his people in this building. And and I love that. There's something about having people come in here. And Many people have reported something feels different in here. John 8 says what feels different is those who believe rivers of living water, by that he meant the Holy Spirit would flow from within. And and so this is his house. This is a house of prayer. This is God's house that's been committed to him. There are literally, many of your prayers are in the foundation of this sanctuary. And we get people from all over the region, some that know God, some that don't, that come in here and they get to see that the church, God, Jesus, sees them by providing for practical needs. So partner with us again. You guys always do such a good job with that. And like I said, anything like surplus, please bring it. It'll go to good use, but please consider. What's something that you love that you can depart with, that you can give away to someone in need? I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. Uh, there's also sale groups coming up. So if you're not in a group, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, um, in the sense of if you're not feeling connected and that kind of stuff, that's an issue we'll, we'll be tackling as a church this next year. But, but I would really encourage you to get into a small group. You need other believers. And uh, I won't be able to unpack it all today, but you really need that. So please be considering that already, even as the message goes. ConnectCell is starting up right after the prayer summit. Prayer summit's at the end of the month. It's going to kick everything off. I know some uh, cell groups, I think MPL already starts this next week. Uh, If you didn't already know that, you probably do if you're on the email list. And uh, so all the startups will be different, but please check out our website. If you're not sure where to go, uh, contact Martin or Mallory, and they will guide you and help you uh, find a place to belong. Or, you know, if you're if you're with friends or you know someone that already has a group, you can ask to join there as well. So with that, let's kick on with te- or move on to today. And uh, we're going to be looking at a new series. But before we start that new series, I wanted to take the day just to uh, lay a bit of, you know, a, 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 like a roadmap forward. Like what are, where are we headed and where are we going? Because this last year we talked lots about cruise ship to battleship. And that was kind of an overarching theme. Right? How do we become the type of church where we're not just coming to be entertained or to get something out of it, but we're actually coming to give and to be a part of what God is doing? And so we're not done that theme. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's going to be the overarching theme of every series we do. However, I don't think we'll ever fully arrive there. It's a lofty goal, but I like the picture because it gives us an idea that, that really confronts the cultural narrative, and that is my life exists for me. 
And that's really what we're fighting with, materialism in that sense. So uh, we're going to be covering that again. And the next steps where I feel like the Lord is leading us is to tackle, you know, I, well, we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. But the um, first place I wanted to start was going back to our mission statement. And that is, can you say it with me? Love God, love people, be discipled, make disciples. That is uh, great commission and great command. Great commission and great command, which dovetail, they work perfectly together. In fact, if you're actually fulfilling the great command, you will be fulfilling the great commission. They, they really work together. And, and, and so we want to see it that way. And I think we've seen a lot of examples this past year of you guys kind of stepping up to the plate. And we were reflecting as a leadership team, I don't think this last week, but the week prior, and looking at what are the themes that we see being caught inside of our church here at Southland, and where do we feel like the Spirit's leading us? And, you know, it was a really good time of seeing that prayer. Prayer is, is something that's a part of this church. We're not just a church who prays, but we're a church of prayer. And, and I think we have a long ways to continue growing. We don't arrive there either. But you guys pray, and that blesses me. Uh, because I, I think prayer, like Pastor Ray has often said, prayer isn't everything, but everything should come out of prayer. And prayer needs to be the foundation of everything we're doing, which I love. Uh, but also, we have seen so many examples of the yeses you guys have been giving. I don't know, like, maybe this is a bad, oh, you know what, I'll just ask it anyways. How many people in here, just by show of hands, have given God a yes in one area or more this last year? Okay, that's amazing. And you know what I love about the hands I just saw? They were from every generation. I wasn't totally prepared for that. So anyways, that blesses me. I, that's the kind of church family that I want to be a part of. And we got to remember that we haven't arrived anywhere. This is really just basic, you know, Christianity 101, the basics of following Jesus, is saying yes. But I love it that we're a part of a church family that continues to do that. I was doing that again this morning, and I hope you're challenged to do that again after this message, and I hope we continue doing that as we leave here. We want to continue giving our yes. We want to continue growing as a church of prayer. We want to continue preaching the full counsel of Scripture and not shying away from what is truth. We want to continue that. But we also want to add on some new pieces, right? And uh, whatever is his way is our way. And one of the problems that we have uh, been, been hearing of, and I've mentioned this before, but today we're going to kind of unveil some of the steps that we're going to take together as a church in tackling this, is loneliness and isolation and not knowing where you belong. That is probably the biggest thing that I hear from within our church body on what people are struggling with. So I don't know what the percentage is. I haven't done any stats, and I'm not prepared to do that right now. I won't force you to raise your hand if you feel lonely. Uh, that might be even more isolating. Uh, unless there's a bunch of you, then I can get you connected afterwards, right? <laughs> so maybe you can introduce yourself later and say, hi, I'm lonely. But uh, no, don't do that. <laughs> Anyways, this is a real issue that we're facing here. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible uh, feeling to actually struggle with. Um, but it lines up with what, you know, neurologic they call the different levels of pain that your brain can feel. Anything that hits attachment is considered to be the most painful things that a human being can experience. So loneliness and isolation and rejection and abandonment, these kind of feelings are often loss, are, are some of the most painful things that a human being can experience. And they're only something that we experience on this side of heaven but, uh, but we see it, and we see it within our church. And since the pandemic, it seems like it's a worldwide issue. It's not just here. Sometimes you get the idea, well, maybe it's because, you know, the pandemic, but also we went through a church split. I, uh, the church split for sure made it worse. 
For sure it did. I mean, when you have a church family, we are a church family. And then there's a split and there's a, you know, there's a fracture. It doesn't feel good. It feels disorienting. It feels painful. It hurts. It still hurts. That's part of life. We hurt. We get, things break, right? We experience life. We experience death. It's all part of it. But we have to look at what we're going to do. But I thought I would read just a couple of stats I was looking up on just even the effects because you can think this issue is just purely a South End issue, but it's not. It's a worldwide issue that people are facing. Research conducted during the, about the COVID-19 pandemic showed that nearly half of people between the ages of 19 and 29 have reported feeling symptoms of anxiety or depression at a significantly higher rate compared to other age groups. So that was one um, a stat that I had found that they had just, I think it's a year old. So they have found the young adults, young adults and youth were at greater risk but of anxiety, loneliness, depression. So that's on there. Um, online, I have the links if you want to go take a look. The impacts of loneliness. So we can all feel lonely, but prolonged or intense experiences of loneliness can have negative impacts on our lives. So these are the kind of effects that I found. Mortality, it, re, it increased early mortality by 26%. Just let that sink in, just that one effect of loneliness. Uh, increased mortality. It put people at greater risk of poor mental health, including depression and anxiety. They lose confidence in themselves. Elevates blood pressure and increases the acute stress responses. Leads to poor sleep quality, which they're trying to figure out chicken or the egg, and I think it's probably both in that sense of sleep, poor sleep quality then impacting and increasing anxiety and depression, increase of anxiety and depression, impacting sleep quality, and it's a vicious cycle. Lower educational attainment. Less likely to want to progress and work, and I began to delete after that for sake of time. It's a real issue that we have. We're seeing it in our community, and we're seeing it in our church family. And yet, Scripture says... A new commandment I give you, this is John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. It wasn't really a new commandment, but, uh, but it is. It's the new commandment. It's in Christ. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this love, and we don't have time to go into it here. Like I said, we're going to lay a bit of a road map for where we're going this next year today. That's what today's message is going to be about, but... We'll unpack this further, but our love is supposed to transcend just greeting those who greet us and loving those who love me in return. It's supposed to go to the least of these and even to our enemies. That's the type of love that Christians are supposed to have. So we're going to look at a threefold uh, strategy that I feel like the Lord is leading us in. And uh, it's not all new. It's just more how we're going to be focusing and, and shifting. But the first one that we're going to do is, is prayer. And I think we're already doing this, but don't ever think that we have arrived. Until we stand before Jesus and receive, when the mortal becomes immortal. That's how Paul puts it. When, when, when we put on immortality forever, then we will be perfect. Until then, we'll continue striving forward. But every work that we do, every work that you do, needs to be born out of or built on top of the foundation of prayer. You know, I, I, I was meditating on this just this morning because I was up early, I had lots of time. <laughs> but I was thinking about, you know, what would it look like? I mean, we try to do this as a church, lay a foundation with prayer. We've been doing that here. What would it look like to actually make it a goal in your life that that you would build your life, all of your decisions on a foundation of prayer. 
How does that change how you respond at work? How does that change that goal or vision that you have? How does it change your parenting strategies? Or the marriage issues you might be struggling with? Or the sin problem that you're broken on? I mean, Jesus talked about watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Right? Or watch and pray, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we want to continue doing that. I'm not going to spend lots of time on, on this prayer one because there are a few things that will take me more time and I don't want to run out of time. So prayer, we will come back to that. We've been talking about it lots. We will continue to talk about it because this has to be at the foundation. This has to be what moves us. And, and I, I put on there just three things just to give you examples. But we need to be growing in personal prayer, each one of us, personal prayer. But then there's corporate prayer, church-wide prayer, prayer summits, that kind of stuff. Those are just avenues. But there is corporate prayer as we pray together when two or three are gathered, either small groups or large groups, big church, small church. And then we have prayer ministry prayer, personal ministry prayer. There is praying through the hurts and the struggles that you are struggling with today so that you can live as an overcomer. Okay, so that's prayer. Let's move on to strategy number two. Strategy number two is going to be church. It's a church family strategy. Care, connect, and go. Now, I know we talked earlier. Well, you probably don't remember, but I talked about uh, connect, grow, serve, and go. You'll notice two of those words in there. You'll start hearing some of those words more frequently probably this next year because they give you a simple pathway forward. Like, what do I need to do to continue growing? Those are just simple, you know, action words that you can use. But church family, care, connect, and grow. And this is the area of the strategy where I need you. But I don't just need you, you need me, I need you, we need each other. Can you turn to the person beside you and tell them that you need them? Yeah, some of you are like, amen, you do. Now turn to the, turn to the same person and say, but I need you. <laughs> some of you like that first one a little too much, eh? Huh? I know, I wish I was sitting down for that one. <clears throat> You need me. <laughs> pointing, to, pointing to my family. Oh, I love it that I have the mic. It's such a wonderful thing. It's a great calling to have. <clears throat> Anyways, so we need each other. So we want to look at a couple things here under the care category, the connect category, and the go. So the first one here we're going to look at is five types of care. And some of you have, have probably received this from me in email form before, um, and I'll continue sending it out. And I don't have time to unpack it all, so we're just going to briefly look at five types of care. And this is to look at just your own personal checklist. Because sometimes we get in these isolating kind of funks where, well, I've done it before. Have you ever been so anxious you actually know you need people but you can't handle being around them? So you just withdraw. And sometimes you can withdraw so far that you even stop the basic things like taking care of yourself. See, that's when things really start to spiral and get dark. And so we'll look at, at five types of care that we need. So Jesus care. I know it sounds funny. And by the way, I didn't come up with these by myself, although I did modify a couple for church. I took them uh, through Jeff Henderson. He uses that for a missionary organization through FAI. Uh, but they use this with their missionaries. So I thought, oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful checklist. So I'm going to use it with you guys too. Jesus care. John 15, 5. I am the vine. Can we read this part together? Ready? I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's either true or it's false. It's either true or it's not true. 
If your strategy and plan for life and tackling your problems doesn't include building on a foundation of knowing God more, it's fruitless. Even if you succeed, it bears no fruit. Even if you succeed, it begins there. And I'm not saying it's easy all the time. I know sometimes you get into a good groove and then it goes easier. I've been through both. Now I've been in a good groove with my devotional life for, for some time actually, but I went through years where it was very sporadic, especially when I really struggled with anxiety strong. Very sporadic. Snooze, 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 wake up late, start over again, try to do it later on in the day, but you're too distracted and it's too hard. Been there. I get it. And it's not just about Bible reading and prayer either, but that is the foundation. If you're not spending regular time in the Word, if you're not spending regular time in prayer, you are not going to break free. You're not going to bear fruit. That's the basics. Okay, number two. Like I said, I'm not going to have time for speaking a whole message. Any one of these points could be turned into a whole thing. Uh, Self-care, I just want to make, sorry, that phrase, I use it here because it's important and it, and it works. I, I don't like the word trigger, but it, that's a trigger word for me. Just because I think often we hear self-care, and our society and culture has turned that into selfish care. It's me time. I'm not talking about me time, although there is a, a validity to that. I'm not talking about living your life for you. But I am talking about taking care of yourself. You are a steward of the life that God has given you. He, has, he created you on purpose and for purpose. And you need to take care of yourself so that you can do his work, not so that you can live your best life now, okay? Although I will say living according to his word will lead to your best life now. That just isn't a life free of pain. <laughs> Anyways, so don't neglect number one. That's the first part of self-care. Go back to number one. Secondly, hygiene, exercise, eating good, memorization, reading, learn something new, practice star. If you don't know what that is, the Way app will tell you. You can ask someone about that later. All right, now we'll go to small group care. And this is what uh, Jeff called community care. And, and this is really, really essential and it's important because we're made for each other. You know, you're looking through uh, 1 Corinthians 12 language. Um, you are not your own. You belong to each other, right? Uh, you, each of you members of the body belong to each other. That is possessive language. So what does it mean to be members of a body? It means we're believers. And as believers that have come together in this local church, if you call this local church your church family, whether you're a voting member or a non-member, like this is, you are members of each other. If this is your church family, we're members of each other. We have a responsibility to care for each other and to love each other and to connect with one each other, to meet together, to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable, to serve each other, to minister to each other, to laugh together, to cry together. We cannot do this alone. And you also can't do it if your primary relationships or all of your relationships are non-believers that aren't, aren't sharpening you and bringing you towards the same goals. We need that, okay? Serving together, small, small groups, we absolutely need each other, and I get it. I have talked to some of you in here that say, I don't know where I fit. Okay, we're going to try to tackle that together as a church. Because I can't fix that. No, there's no one person or ten people in here that are going to fix that for everybody. Because small groups, it's small church. It's smaller, right? It's smaller than big. We can only do so much on a weekend. 
All right, then we have, so small group care, big church care. This is organizational or church care. This is what we do here, right? Now there's pastoral counseling, absolutely. Yes, there is personal prayer ministry, uh, retreats, seminars, weekend services. This is the kind of things that the church offers. We can't, though, do everything at the big church level. We can't do all the other pieces. That's why this care piece, if you're struggling, if you're disconnected, I mean, you actually need to look at all of the different levels, not just one or two. And I know sometimes we want to latch onto one and then kind of expect, you know, we'll go to community and then you'll expect your friendships or your parents or your kids or whatever it might be, whoever your community is, you're going to expect them to do all of the things for you. Well, no one can do all of the things for you. And some of the things you have to engage with, you have a choice with on your, on your own. So that's big church care. We want to continue doing that. And then we have specialized care. And specialized care cannot be neglected. And I know uh, there's many in here that access this. I have myself. Um, see a doctor, talk to a counselor, talking to a therapist. These are specialized care. People that are trained to help you through whatever area that you might be stuck in. Right? Re recently I, I talked to one woman who had had told me she's really struggling with mental health. My, my encouragement was, well, I've actually had more than one on the same thing. My encouragement, you need to get connected. Are you getting in the word and prayer? You need to get connected. Are you with other believers? Yeah, totally. Okay, have you gone to see a doctor? Have you gone to see a therapist? Go, do that. And then I also recommend that you start doing the way, <laughs> right? Because that's a great way to keep your devotional life on fire. And then you don't have to feel like when you're struggling that you have to figure it all out on your own. There's a pathway laid out in there. All right, so those are the five kinds of care. And my encouragement to you, if you feel stuck, I get it. Like you're, you're in a state where it's like, I know you're talking about giving your yes and moving out, but I just feel so stuck. I don't, I don't even know how to go out. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I'm stuck. I understand that. We're all there to one level or another. And I get it. You go through seasons where you feel trapped. But then I'd really encourage you to take a look at that list of five and start engaging with one or two or three or more. All right. You're tracking? We're all together? What does the Bible say about loneliness? We're going to do a whole message on this later on, but how about we just start with the beginning, Genesis. God is going through creation, and he's saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he creates mankind, or Adam, and he says it is very good. <laughs> I love that. Out of all creation, by the way, have you ever thought about that? I don't know, like, I, I'm sure, I don't want a show of hands, but I am sure in a room this size, there are people in here right now that feel like they are worth nothing. That's a terrible feeling. You know that God created Mount Everest. Do you think Mount Everest is pretty special? I mean, people are willing to risk their lives to go climb Mount Everest. It's special, right? I mean, almost everybody knows about Mount Everest, even if you don't know where it is. You just know it's a really big mountain. God created that and said it was good. He created you and said it's very good. Incredible. Intrinsic value in every human life, far beyond any other created thing. Anyways, look what the first thing that he said was not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It was not good that he is alone. Not good. Right? So I understand extrovert, introvert, and different levels of connectedness. I, I definitely need more than my wife does. And that's okay. But the, the point is, both of us need connection. Does that make sense? Both of us need time alone. Both of us need connection. We were made for community. We we're made to be a part of the body. All right. So that's the 
care part. Now we're going to start looking at connect, right? And uh, this is the gathered church. And, and one of the phrases you're going to hear this next year is no one stands alone. So we are a family. This is how I kind of want you to think of local church and universal church, right? So local church is like, you know, you have your nuclear family, like your immediate family, and then you have your extended family. Think of the church that way. That's the kind of familiar language that is used throughout Scripture. God is our Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be family. So we have our extended family, and one day we're going to have the biggest family gathering ever, where all of the, the cousins and uncles and aunts that you've never met, because they're so distant, we're all going to be together worshiping the Father together. It's going to be incredible. I can't wait. But until then... We have to get really, really good at practicing what family life is like here on this earth. Meaning we love each other, we care for each other. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one, one rejoices, we all rejoice, right? Let's, let's succeed together, let's hurt together, let's do life together. Now, I do get something on this, so I'll, I'll describe it in just a little bit here, but I understand there's, there are seasons of busyness too, right? I mean, I have... More than, on more than one occasion, not so much anymore because my kids are in kids' ministry. When they were, though, on more than one occasion, I'm looking between services or after a service, and I'm trying to find most often Sarah. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, Caitlin's always where she's supposed to be. Kiana, Austin, they were always, yeah, Sarah's running off somewhere. No offense. It's what I love about her. But anyways, you, you come and talk to me, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't actually have time. I'm trying to find my daughter. Right? By the way, if you see her, call me on this number. <laughs> All right. I understand that. We're going to be busy. We're, we're totally going to have times like that. Or you have lunch plans. Or you have this plans. Or all that kind of stuff. But what happens if, if we start looking at that issue of loneliness and people not feeling where they belong? I mean, put yourself in that place. Then we think of people struggling with depression and anxiety and sleeplessness and not feeling like they have any value. You know, just by making sure you had an extra five minutes on your margin, you have the power to make a difference, a life-changing difference in the person who needs it. Just by giving them your time and attention and care. And it doesn't have to take long. Some of the people that have made the most profound impacts on me when I was a teen gave me very small amounts of their time. It wasn't a large commitment. I know sometimes we're afraid. Well, yeah, but I can't be friends with everyone. I get that. But you should be loving, trying to be loving and caring for everyone. And when we're in, this is our family gathering. Every week we have a family gathering. When we see someone that's disconnected or alone or hurting or they look lost or they look new, that's who we should be targeting. Amen? So one of the things I want to talk about this next year is no one standing alone. And I don't have time to go through this, but think about this with your small groups, families, friendship groups. If you're a student, young person, no one stands alone. Who can you include? Is there space for even one more in your community? And I know, yeah, but we don't totally click. Yeah, that's family. Do you totally click with all your family? Let's, don't answer that. <laughs> you get it. Right? So when we go and we're the light to somebody else, we show them that we see them. That's important. People need to know that we care. But we also show them that Jesus sees them. That they matter. We extend his grace on the earth. Okay? So that's inside the church. Inside the church. On the weekends, no one stands alone. Right? 
So look for the person who's lonely and just hug them. Hug, no, don't. Don't be too, <laughs> some, respect people's boundaries. But love them, say hi, greet them, find out their name. Uh, so, uh, one of the games I've played with my kids when we're out in public is try to find out uh, one piece of information that you didn't know about a stranger. Those are fun things that you can do. It doesn't take a lot of time. You can do that here too. All right, then we're going to tackle this outside. This, so we have gathered church together and then the scattered church. And this one I've mentioned a few times, but, but uh, I'll mention it again. And uh, we'll help the process of what does this look like exactly as the year goes on. But each one, reach one. Now, when you look at this, this is not just a loft. I mean, the phrase, maybe whatever. Maybe the phrase I had a little bit to do with. But the idea for each one, reach one is biblical. It's great commission, great command. We're all supposed to be doing it. But sometimes it's so overwhelming because there's so many needs, there's so many people, I don't even know where to start. So we just simplify it down to each one reach one. I'm not talking about each one reach one every week where it's a new person every week that you're including. But what would happen if even 500 of the people that come here? That's not, that's not a lot. But what would happen in our church if even 500 people committed to reaching just one person this next year? And you're like, well, what would that look like? I mean, I don't know how to share my testimony. It's, you know, each one reach one. Discipleship is a whole gamut. Don't, like, one of the biggest problems I, or hindrances I see is that people overcomplicate it. It's like discipleship. That means I have to know how to, like, win someone to Christ. I, know how, I need to know how to share my faith or witness to them. Well, first off, you should know how to do that. And we'll talk about that too. But that is only one moment. Conversion is one moment in someone's discipleship journey. It is one moment. It was one moment in yours. You're not getting saved every time you say yes each morning. But discipleship is that process. It is that process where you're becoming more like Christ. And so when we are discipling people to Jesus, it includes loving them, building relationships, praying for them. It starts with prayer. It includes serving them, ministering to them, getting to know them, learning how to share your own story. Growing in the word so that you can know how to answer their questions. Those are things that we can do, right? Each one, reach one. Again, I look at students, workers, employers, parents, young and old. I don't care what generation you're from. Well, I do care, but for this, I don't. Who's in your sphere that you can pray for, that you can love, that you can look to build a relationship with and disciple them towards Jesus? Long-term goal. Um, <clears throat> John Scott. And I, got to, I, was at a, I was at a summit in, uh, in the States, and I actually got to tell him, I'm using your quote. <laughs> he, he said it a long time ago. But anyhow, uh, I loved it. He was one of the teachers in our class that we were taking uh, last year. And he had said, the difference between discipling one person and a thousand is relatively small. It is. Because you don't decide your giftedness. You don't decide your personality. You don't decide where you're born, the, the amount of people you're around. You don't get to decide any of that stuff. God does. And he did decide, and he made you unique and special, and that's a wonderful thing. But he, did, he went on to say the difference between discipling one person and zero is immense. And what he was getting at is very simple. It's exactly what John 14 says. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If we love the Lord, Luke 6, 40, why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I command you to do? 
Then he says, I will show you, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, meaning you should be submitting under the teacher. And he says, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it, right? We're supposed to become like our teacher, become like Jesus. All right. Well, that's why it's so immense, because the difference between one and zero is about giving a yes or a no. Does that make sense? The difference between one and a thousand is giftedness and, and abilities. That's fine. Some will only reach one, some will reach thousands, some even more. But faithfulness in saying yes is what bears fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness in that. All right. So that's strategy number two, is church family. And so connect. Uh, we have care, connect, and go. So we have little strategies there for, for each one of us that we'll keep coming back to. And then lastly, what we're going to... Give me one second here. Might as well. We're going to look at the third strategy. And I'm super excited about this one. Actually, sorry. Didn't I tell you I drink water and coffee? I told you. I'm honest, at least. Hmm. I wish I could share that with you. Ah, maybe I don't. But I wish you had your own. (laughs) Then we could have all said cheers. All right. So, third strategy. Moving on. Truth. So we have the first strategy is prayer. That has been our strategy already, but it's going to continue to be our strategy. We're going to continue to pray. Beginning of services as staff, we pray before the workday starts. I'm hoping that you're praying already on your personal side, and uh, we're going to continue praying at things like prayer summits and all that stuff. So prayer has to be the foundation. If you want to engage, if you're going to say yes to discipleship and reaching people, prayer needs to be the foundation of that. Partner with God. What you're going to find is it's actually an adventure. It is an adventure to partner with God, and not only is it an adventure, he actually tells you what to do, and he gives you the strength to do it. Don't go trying to do something on your own that you were never made to do, right? So anyways, uh, preaching on truth, understanding God's grand story. And I know Pastor Ray did a sermon on, series on that two years ago, and in fact, we looked, and, and uh, we've actually done sermon series on that, I think, three times the one before that was 2016. Well, we are going to hit it again. Uh, if you've looked at, you know, uh, uh, classic kind of Christian orthodoxy, that idea for the grand story is a common theme that you'll hear. Many times, the Bible being referred to as God's grand story. I like that a one author, and I'd quote him to you, but I forget who said it, but he, he made it in contemporary terms, and he said, it's like, it's, like, it's like God has made this grand, it's like bigger than Marvel, Bigger than Marvel with all the different pieces that fit together, you have God's grand story, this massive movie that's all about God. It's a story that we all get to be a part of. Then he said, we just get to be extras in his story. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? We're just extras. That he gives us the honor of partnering with him and being a part of his story, and I think that's pretty cool. So anyways, we're going to go back to there uh, because it's really, uh, I think it's critical that we understand uh, things that, well, I'll get to that. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. Why don't we just put this slide back up? You remember seeing this? I brought it out, I think, I don't know, a number of months ago. Anyways, we'll continue to refer back to it. And what, I, what I'm hoping is that by the end of the year, we can kind of fit all the different pieces. Where does it fit? Because I think sometimes we'll, we'll start looking at the story and we go front to back and then back to front, and then you're not totally sure how it all fits. And so, you know, in January, when I was already praying about, in January, I was praying about where God wanted us to go in, in fall. And uh, the first thing I sensed is that we need to talk about end times. What happens in the end? You know, with all the turmoil that's, that's going on in, in society, you know, what's, what's going to happen as things progress? And what should we expect as a church? And how should we respond? And I think that's critical for you to understand. But, 
But, you know, with that, often when we talk about end times, and we've, we've had it here and we've seen it in the culture, we see people responding in multiple different ways. So you'll see some responding in, the, in different camps we talk about, right? Camp fear, where it's like hunker down and hide in your closet and don't go out and hide from the world. Don't engage because it's scary and just wait for Jesus to return whenever that might be. If it's in five years, 10 years, 50 years, it doesn't matter. We just hunker down and wait, hide. Store up cans, dig holes and, and bury Bibles. By the way, that's maybe a good idea. Uh, especially with AI and stuff that's going on now and how digital things are changing and um, already how, how groups are lobbying to have, so you know, groups are already lobbying to have anything that talks about, you know, anything against LGBTQ, if it's any literature, for that to be banned in Canada. That's already being discussed. So that idea maybe isn't such a bad thing. Uh, make sure you have physical copies of the Bible. Do that. That's a good thing to do. Have physical copies and still use your digital ones, but keep a physical one or more or two or ten, or two dozen, so you have more to give away. Amen? Yeah. Anyways, there's camp fear, but then there's camp irrelevant. You have other believers that just don't care. Well, no one really knows anyways, or we're all going to be raptured before, you know, anything gets bad, so you don't even have to worry about it. I mean, that's a bit insensitive to those that are going to be here. We should have a heart. If anything, we should be wanting to engage even more. But, but anyhow, or maybe you're, you're buying into things like preterism where you think that, well, all, everything's already happened. Full-blown preterism actually thinks that Jesus returned in 70 AD. All the prophecies were fulfilled. It was spiritually fulfilled. I don't know how that all fits. It's kind of interesting. We'll talk about all of that coming up in the fall and moving forward. But the thing is, where we start really matters. You see, a lot of times when, when we go and start talking end times, uh, people will say, well, there's like six or seven or ten or twelve different things that people believe and it's hard to know. And how do you know and how do you know what your translation is and, and what is true and what's not? Okay. Have you ever like grabbed a book or a movie or even a hearty, well, whatever, it doesn't matter what book. Think of a, a book that you would grab and start by reading the last chapter. Do you think it's possible that you would get details wrong about what the story was all about if you started at the end? Like imagine watching a movie that way. Maybe that'll hit, <laughs> hit us at a different level. Imagine watching a movie where we forwarded through all the scenes, didn't read anything, forwarded to the end. We got the last 10 minutes, we watched it and said, I watched that show, I didn't like it, it sucked. It was terrible, it didn't even make sense. Didn't make sense. Or, can you imagine trying to like watch like, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy? I mean, that's a long, especially the, the Blu-ray, which has the extended, extended. They're like four hours each. Twelve hours of wonderful engagement. If you haven't watched it, watch it. <laughs> I love it. So, anyhow, can you imagine like every time, I, I'm going to watch it in six different times. But every time I watch it, I'm going to start at a different spot and just randomly press play for ten minutes. Randomly press play for five minutes. Like, would you miss the story? You'd miss massive parts of the story. Now, of course, you'd pick up some pieces that were right. You'd have some things that were hopefully right. But it would lead to all sorts of misconceptions, and it'd be very hard for you to ever accurately tell someone what that story was about. That's how a lot of us approach the Bible in the West. The Old Testament, oh, it's just long and I just don't understand it. So like, I'll just skip there and people say, well, you don't, why don't you start in the New Testament? And I get that, by the way, I've said that. There, there's a time and place, start in the gospel because you just want to have the, the, you know, they're not even ready for the grand story. It's like, Jesus loves you and he paid for the sin that's in your life. Like, listen to this. Okay, I totally get that as a starting point. 
But we gotta be careful how, we're, how we approach the scripture when we just think, well, Old Testament, I don't fully understand. So I just kind of pick and choose. It's like today, Timothy, hit me. Timothy 3, qualifications for overseers. Oh, that's kind of awkward that that's where I go. <laughs> okay, so sometimes the Lord does speak to you right out of randomly opening. I'm like, I'll bookmark this and read it for later. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But, but even getting that random truth like that, I mean, yes, it's going to be good. God's word is sharper. It is active. It has power. So yeah, you're going to get something out of it. It's amazing. But you're going to miss a huge part of his plan. You might think, well, does it matter to have his full plan? Absolutely it matters to have his full plan. Because understanding his story helps you understand who God is. And if you understand who God is, it helps you understand what's happening in the future. It helps you understand your past. It gives you context for what you're supposed to be doing today. And that's a, that's a really important thing. You know, going back to, oh, I had it on there already. Um, Joel Richardson uh, puts it this way, and he talks about when he goes end times, he also talks about the reason why people get their eschatology wrong is because they're starting at the end. So he said where you have to start is with a biblical worldview. You start with a biblical worldview because that is a lens. And we'll talk lots about that this fall. But that's a lens. It's like glasses through which you view and interpret the world around you. What is ultimate, ultimate reality? So, so you start there, but your worldview is whether you want it to or not. And all of us have a worldview in here. Your worldview is influencing your beliefs, your values, and your theology. As you read scripture, your worldview is helping you interpret what you're reading. Now, I don't want, you might say, well, what if we have a, the wrong worldview and then are, can we not be saved? No, 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 no. You can still be saved. You totally can. And whether you have a biblical worldview and believe the right A through Z or not, you still need the Holy Spirit to interpret this for you. Be spirit-led. But the worldview matters, and I'll demonstrate that in a little bit. But that worldview influences your theology, which is the knowledge of God, which is going to influence how you read Scripture, which then in goes to interpret how you look at the end, what's going to happen. Does that make sense? And if you understand what's going to happen, so that's why the promises are important. Like even on the end times, one little secret there, you see the promises of God. Which promises are eternal and unconditional? You might not know. That's okay. You don't have to. We'll, we'll talk about that later on in a short form so you can remember. Well, if you know the answer to those, you already know a lot of what has to happen in the end before Jesus returns. Why? Because God is a promise maker, but he's also a promise what? Keeper. Because if he breaks the eternal or unconditional promises, then he's a promise breaker. So any theology or any eschatol eschatological view that has God breaking eternal promises or unconditional promises has terrifying implications. If God can lie to his people Israel or break promises to them, what might he break with us? Because I don't know about you, I struggle with sin. I can't remember a time, honestly, maybe this is shameful, whatever. I'll just tell you, I cannot remember a time that I've gone into God examining my heart that didn't lead to me confessing some kind of sin. Anyways, get ahead of myself. Wrap it up. Okay. It's getting ahead of myself. This, I was so pumped to preach already, talking about roadmap. There are so many branches to be put here, but that's why I like this, this uh, uh, the timeline. 
because it's going to help you see, you'll see like creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Those are the four main themes, or if you want to think movie terms, uh, parts or saga, right? The Star Wars saga had, you know, a whole bunch and it's continuing to grow. Okay, there's four main parts to God's grand story. And a biblical worldview is built on top of that. Okay, we'll talk about that too. So why do we need to learn this? And do we really need to learn this? Because some of you might just say, me and my wife have had good conversations on this lots of times. And, and our, the Lord has corrected us so many times and moved us along a path. But you get to a spot where, like, we just believe because, well, that's what we've been taught. And, well, that's what the Bible says. So it's just simple. We just believe. Just believe. I don't know. Are, am I the only, are we the only people in here that have ever just felt we just believe? Come on, we just believe, we just go. Then you go through a pandemic, and then you go through a church split, and suddenly they're like, whoa, 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 wait, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? We probably should have been there anyways. So we get in here and look at it, and you know, uh, a, a helpful picture that the Lord gave me, because sometimes you get that idea, I don't need to know. I don't need to know. Well, first off, if you really think you don't need to know and understand this story in this book, I would challenge that you do not have a biblical worldview. At least take it into prayer. That would be my first assumption. And I'm trying not to ju be judgy, right? But that's what I would assume. I would assume that you don't have a biblical worldview because your priorities are, are wrong. Sometimes we're like, I mean, it's like living in a house, right? Isn't that what faith is like? We build a house. I mean, Jesus talks about building a house, although he does, and he makes it very clear that believing isn't enough. Well, it is enough for salvation, but he says if you want a house that stands, you have to believe and obey. But anyways, that aside, the house analogy. When I go home, I'm going to go home into a house, and you know what I'm not going to think about? How that house was built. Guys like Hector know those answers, so I don't need to know. If I got a problem, I'll go to Hector. Hector, you can fix it. Thank you very much. He's done that before. He's helped us, right? Hector will fix it. That's how we approach the Bible and faith. I don't need to know. I just have faith, and if there's a problem, I'll just go to a pastor. I can't fix all your problems, and I don't have all your answers, and I don't even have the time to meet with everyone in here. See, the problem is we think we're just called to live in a house. But God called you to build a house. It's not enough to just live in a house and not know how it's built. Not anymore. You live in a house, but you learn to build houses. But you know what else we're called to do? Not just build houses. We're called to teach others to build houses. That's not just my calling. That's your calling. And your calling. And your calling. And you're calling. I'm trying to cover all the sides. And back there, too. I missed anyone. And at home, you're calling, too. So we need to know how to build houses. Now, you won't have to necessarily know every detail. There's different trades. But at some level, at some spot within the body, God is calling you to build houses, to engage with him in building his church. That is adding people to the mix and loving those that are in here. So we need that, okay? Uh, we absolutely need to learn this. This is what I love about starting a series. I can start, and I don't have to worry about missing stuff. I'll just come to it next week. Isn't that great? It's like the most freeing feeling ever. Doing one is so hard. Oh. Okay. Examples. Anyone in here, by the way, if you're talking about worldview, because you're like, ah, oh, worldview, we're going to start there, but we're going to get towards the end. So I'll skip this forward for the people online so they can see me. Hi. Um, <laughs> I love them. 
I love you guys too. We are a family. I know we hesitate. Yeah, but, yeah, but church isn't, yeah, I know it's not, but that's biblical language. We're family. Let's treat each other like family. Right? Are we together in this? Let's try that again. Are we together in this? Yeah, we're together in this. Yeah, let's love each other. Let's do this together. Let's seek the Lord together. But let's talk worldview just for a little bit. Anyone in here ever feel like every time, like the only time God is happy with them is when they're reading their Bible and praying? Is there anyone in here that feels that way? Sometimes? Okay. Is there anyone in here that feels like if they do any kind of like hobbies or fun things in their lives or like if they're just like hanging out or go to a game, that they're doing something that's unspiritual? Is there anyone that feels that? Okay, so there's a handful and a spattering. All right, so I have felt those things. You know what that is? It's not a biblical worldview. I'll tell you what it is. It's transcendentalism. It's dualism. Plato's idea. Spiritual is good. Physical is bad. Does anyone in here ever ask the Lord to bless the food to their body? (laughs) I still do it. By the way, I still do it. I already know where it comes from. Do you know that that's not from a theistic worldview? That's not from a biblical worldview? You're like, what do you mean? What's wrong with saying that? Well, nothing is wrong with it. It's not sinful. Don't hear me saying that. That's also from dualism. Why? Because you'd pray for God to bless it because everything in the material world was bad. So things in the material world are bad, so we pray for God to bless it so that it's good. That's totally against Genesis. Genesis, God said he created all those things and said it was good. Sin is obviously bad. But there they would bless the Lord. If you look at uh, the, the Jews, before kind of Plato kind of brought in and, and with Christians, but they used to thank the Lord. They would bless the Lord for what he has provided them and for the nourishment that food was going to have, but they didn't actually ask the Lord to bless the food. They didn't have to. Okay, those are small examples. Very small, right? Like very small. But yet worldviews have an impact in us, right? How about things like, have you ever heard Christians denying that the Spirit speaks? Denying that the Holy Spirit is still active. Denying the gifts. It's cessationism. Well, cessationism doesn't come from a biblical worldview. See, cessationism, I mean, you say you believe in the Spirit that God could, but he doesn't. Why? Because your, your view of the world is that only the material, things that I can touch and taste and see and hear are what is real. That's all that there is. That's closer to naturalism than it is to theism. Anyways, uh, uh, Chuck Colson, I think it was him, but it might have been, said, good ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. So let's demonstrate this, and then I'll close this off. Let's look at a cultural example. So what's the predominant worldview right now? By the way, we're going to go really fast through this, and and I'm not going to go deep. We have time to go deep later, but this is just to give you an idea of why it even matters. Why should we even learn this? Postmodernism. That's a very common worldview. And by the way, you might think, well, I don't really care about worldviews. I don't need to have one. You do have one. Everyone in here has a worldview. It helps you process the world around you. It shows you what's valuable, what's important, how you got here. If I asked you guys about your origin story, everyone would have an answer. Even if that answer was, no one can know. That is an answer. All the main questions that a worldview answers all of us have answers for because we all have a worldview. Anyhow, point is postmodernism says there is no truth, right? What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. Have you ever heard that? There's a popular song that I was stuck in my head yesterday. I won't say what it is. Some of you will know, and I'm not going to quote who. Anyhow, it's a secular one. But let, how does it go? 
let me live my truth, that's all I want to do. Let me live my truth, that's all I want to do. And I'm like, wow, does that ever beautifully capture our culture? Let me live my truth, it's all I want to do. And you had better not step in my way. All right, so what are the effects of that? Carl Truman talks about postmodernism this way, and he writes about their, the current uh, cultural worldview. Inner feelings have been given the ultimate authority. Truth is found primarily inside the individual, based on feelings rather than outside, based on objective facts. Get that? So truth is found inside. If you want to know what's true, if you want to know what's, how to be your authentic self, who you are, you have to look inside based on how you feel. No one can tell you from the outside. Tracking? Okay. Let's look at a cultural example. So live your truth. You ever heard that? Let me live my truth. Follow your heart. You're good just the way you are. No one can tell you who you are, all that kind of stuff. All right. Let's look at a cultural example of this. Uh, kids and people are told to look inside to find their authentic self. Uh, let's talk about transgenderism. Now, I got a caveat because we're in Canada and I want to get at my heart. And just based on stats alone, there's probably people in here that are struggling there. I'm not saying that you don't have hurts inside or brokenness inside that you don't need help. I would actually think you do. I just think our society is teaching you all the wrong things. But let's just take a look at how our worldview is playing into that. So if I am a man, but I don't, I'm struggling in my life, the experts will encourage me to look inside to my feelings to find out my, who my authentic self is. Has anyone in here ever had a feeling or a thought inside that they're very happy they didn't act out on? Anyone? This is a surprising little number. <laughs> okay. Sarah, did you just double hand? That was impressive. Very honest. Yeah. <laughs> I can double hand too. Anyways, the point is, so if you feel like a, if I feel like a girl, then my authentic self is actually a girl. And then so what, what Truman is saying is that then I need to conform my body, which is outside, to my inward feelings. But it's more than that. I actually require all of society to agree with me and to affirm my inner feelings and truth, regardless of what that is. This is coming from a postmodern worldview that I 100% disagree with. Truth is not found inside of us. It's found outside of us. If we want to find our authentic self, we look outside to God who made us. He's the only one that can tell you. But look at, look at the damaging effects that it's having in our culture right now. We're watching this in the states as they're fighting for, you know, a lot of the states were changing laws so that minors couldn't access um, uh, life-altering hormones and surgeries. That makes sense when you look at it rationally or even lovingly. They can't buy cigarettes or alcohol. They can't drive. They can't rent a car. They can't buy a house. They can't vote. So states are changing laws. They're not even not affirming, but some of the things that I've seen being said are this. To deny, to deny them rights to life-altering hormones and surgeries is to actually push them towards suicide. It basically means I don't care if they live or die. Think about what's being pushed. Think about that narrative, what that actually means to someone who is struggling with feeling like they're a different gender inside. That, those, that society around them is saying your only hope of being okay 
is for everybody else around you to constantly affirm you and to change your body and to have surgeries and cut parts off and add parts on, that's the only way that your life will be worth living. Is that a loving message? That's the message of postmodernism. Good ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have actual victims. Actual victims. And now we're seeing it in the provinces as well as we're, you know, they're, they're talking about parents. Kids need uh, parental consent before they have to, uh, they can change their names and pronouns. And again, the same thing's being said. If you don't change the pronouns, kids are going to commit suicide because that's what our worldview is saying. Now, there is a real problem, but I will challenge you to look at something that would just be, like if we look at it rationally. 30 years ago, was transgenderism a thing? Yes or no? Or was it? I mean, was there transgenderism? Was there people that struggled with transgenderism? Yeah. yeah. So the argument would be that they just were in the closet. Yeah. Make sense? Okay. So then what we should see by correlation, that access to care, access to being able to change their outer body to their inward truth, is what causes suicide rates and mental health rates to go up. If that's true, then 30 years ago, the suicide rates and mental health rates should have been at the highest when they had no access to care and they were forced to stay quiet. So what's changed in 30 years? Lots of things. One of them though is the cultural worldview has changed in the last 30 years. We've gone from a society that was built on Christian Judeo, Judeo-Christian values to a postmodern, post-Christian society. That's what's changed. And I am not denying that people in here struggle internally, that feel like they're in the wrong body. I'm not denying that people have, have desires that are contrary to nature. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that you've struggled with trauma or that you've had brokenness in your life. I'm not denying any of that stuff. But I am 100% against what the world is offering as a solution. It's not a solution. Our Christian worldview has the only solution. You want to find your authentic self? If you're in here and this is where your struggle is, you want to find your authentic self, let me tell you something. God made you. You know what? He only made one of you. The kind of language he uses in here, he knew you before you were born. Before conception, when you were in your mom's womb, he already knew you then. And he loved you then and he knew you by name. And he longed for and desired to have a relationship with you. So much so that for all people, but also for you, it's personal. He knew that you'd struggle with sin and there'd be brokenness. And he paid the penalty so that you can have redemption in his name. You feel like you don't have value? You are more valuable as a human being created in God's image than anything else in all of creation. Think of galaxies and stars, and he looks at you and says, you are very good. He only, he only ascribed good to them. Our message is way better than the world's. It is the message of life. I got to end, because it's 1028. So, <clears throat> will you give your yes with me again? Not to me. Don't say yes to me. I don't need that. <laughs> I struggle with my own yes. Will we give our yes to him together again? 
to continue following him in whatever his way, to continue laying a foundation of prayer. We need that for ourselves, for our community, for the world, for the people we're trying to reach. But as a church family, would you consider those five types of care? If you're struggling with mental health and loneliness, would you consider, would you do that? Those five points, and would you access the help you need for the rest of us, and for you too? Each one, reach one, and no one stands alone. Can we do this together? Bow your heads. I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person in here. We're all family. Thank you that you knew us by name. Thank you for not identifying us by our struggles. Thank you for telling us that we're valuable. Thank you for calling us to be like you. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for truth. Thank you that we never have to be alone because you've promised to always be with us. Thank you for being stronger than the culture, stronger than the lies, stronger than the devil. Thank you that you are sovereign God over all. And so, Lord, we give our yes to you and you alone. May you be Lord over everything. You already are. But, Lord, we say yes to seeing that come into, re- in, into reality in our world today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Maranatha Church, he has come. He is coming again. Amen. Maranatha, have a good day.